Good evening. Thanks for tuning in to our Bible discussion of the book of Matthew. Um, I've been enjoying this discussion with Curtis and Nick. I've been enjoying our Zoom classes as we've been able to get together and digest what the inspired author Matthew has given us about the life of Jesus. Uh, one of the things we've been emphasizing week after week is that this book is designed to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And we won't review that this time because I think we've, we've covered that enough. I think I've asked Nick and Curtis on multiple occasions <laughs> to review that, and they've passed the test every time. We finished up the Sermon on the Mount, which shows that Jesus is this great authoritative teacher. And now we're kind of in the middle of his ministry where we have section after section here in the book of Matthew that show miracles of Jesus. Uh, what has stood out to you, Curtis, about these miracles that we've looked at so far of Jesus in Matthew chapter 08 and 09 so far? Uh, it, it reinforces his authority. So the authority that we saw in the Sermon on the Mount and his teaching, it reinforces his authority over uh, illness, external and internal illness, over uh, time and space with the healing of the centurion servant, over uh, the spiritual realm, over nature. Uh, and it reinforces Jesus as God. And you think about the different teachers that they had back then, they didn't have that power backing their teaching. They claimed to be authoritative, but could they prove it? Jesus comes on and he turns their religious world upside down. He doesn't even have to say that he's authoritative. No, he shows it. His life shows it. And, and even, I mean, going back to the right there, what Matthew says in 728, that the crowds were astonished at his teaching, as he was teaching with one with authority, right. not like the scribes. Right. There's something that is different. You can see yes. something different with Jesus, not only in his teaching, but his miracles reinforced. Yeah. And his teaching and his authority draws people to him, right? I mean, right. over and over we see like, this. Again, we could go back and hit this thing because, you know, he doesn't have to say, I'm an authoritative figure. He doesn't have to dress, I'm an authoritative figure. He is just an authoritative figure, and people recognize that by the way that he acts. Um, for instance, well, what we've studied the last couple of weeks when we look at these different individuals, they are people who understand the power of Jesus, and they trust him. They trust that he has the ability to to take away their diseases, to heal their illnesses, to um, do all sorts of incredible things that we can't even in our own. So life they come really. to Jesus, they trust in yeah. him, and that trust or their faith is yeah. their is faith, rewarded. But then that's another aspect, right? right? That's yeah. another aspect of this too. Well, let's pick right up and get into it tonight. We just we've made it through halfway through chapter nine of the book of Matthew. Um, Jesus has called, you know, his disciples now. He just gave us this illustration about new wine skins and, and old wine and vice versa. And now we're in chapter 9, verse 18. And, and I won't give a bunch of background into this because it seems that Matthew's hitting the high points of his ministry a little bit. I, I, Of course, it's kind of going from location to location, but I'm sure there's other stuff going on here too. But verse 18 does continue the discussion of the previous verses. So it says, while he was saying these things, so he's still talking about you know, the new wine and old wineskins. While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. So again, we have kind of a, I guess you would say an unlikely person to come to Jesus and acknowledge his power. We've already had, I mean, what we've had the, the centurion, right? right? He wasn't somebody you would expect. You have a man with leprosy, somebody you wouldn't expect. And now you've got a synagogue official. So he's working uh, in, in the Jewish community. He's a, a religious leader, and it seems like a lot of those that opposed Jesus were these leaders. Mm -hmm. and, and he didn't just come in 
Uh, it's a word that you brought up a couple weeks ago, this proskuneo, yeah. this word for worship. Uh, and that's what it says, that he came in and knelt before worship Jesus. And so this bowed. isn't just a, a, your, your, your run-of-the-day Jew. This is a synagogue official. This is a ruler, a, a man with, with authority. So here's a man with authority who recognizes right. yeah. Jesus' authority. Right. Just like the centurion was a man with authority who recognized authority. Lesson for all of us in positions of authority. We need to recognize the authority of Jesus and bow down to him. So he comes up to Jesus, bows down before him, and he says, my daughter has just died. So she just died, and his immediate response was to go find Jesus. Which there's a lesson there for us, that when problems arise in our life, immediately we should turn to Jesus. I think you emphasize, you know, the the calming of the storm. When storms of life raise John, do we immediately go down to the bottom of the boat and ask Jesus for help? So this man comes to Jesus, and he says, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her. And she will live. Tremendous faith. Yeah. Tremendous faith. He doesn't say she might live or can you. It's she will live. I trust. I don't know if a lot of times I even petition God that same way. God, I know that if you answer this prayer, it will happen. That's that's huge. So Jesus got up and began to follow him and so did his disciples. So Jesus is going with this guy. The rest of his crowd, you know, follows along with him. In the meantime, in that transition from this location to the other location, there's another interaction that happens. Verse 20. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. Now, if you're just following here, this is a very interesting miracle that happens. This is unusual. So you got a woman who has this this condition that's causing her to bleed for the last 12 years. She comes up from behind Jesus and touches the bottom of his garment, his cloak. Um, I wrote a note here one time, tassels probably is what he had hanging off. For she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will get well. So this woman also has great faith. Well, what do you see about her faith here, Nick? Man, I mean, let's put this in perspective. Imagine yourself having an illness for 12 years. My, My translation says a discharge of blood. It's probably a feminine-type issue. I don't want to get into that. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, put that in perspective, right? To put that in perspective and say, if I had an illness such as that for 12 years, that's a long time. Like, 12 years I can go think about and go back. I was a teenager 12 years ago, you know? Yeah, me too. think about (laughs) First, too, yeah. (laughs) You might have been. You might have been. Uh, 20. Okay. But think about that. That's a long period of time. And and then she she hears about this... All these people are hearing about Jesus. She comes to him. And what I find miraculous about this is what she's actually saying to herself. Yeah. Right? If I touch his garment, I will be made well. And, and that, that word we saw on Sunday yes. is sozo. Sozo. I will saved. be saved. If I right. touch him, I will be saved. And it's that same word that continues out. That daughter, your faith has saved you. Right. Instantly the woman was Saved, and so yeah. it's pretty neat, which we can unpack here uh, as we, we get there. Um, so she trusts in Jesus as yeah. that source of salvation here, and it's probably salvation more from her illness, you know. I would think here, but I mean, in general, she trusts in who he is. And I like that in both of these instances, he mentions will, or it is mentioned, verse 18, she will live, verse 20 or 21, I will get well. So then, as we go on. It says, but Jesus turning and seeing her said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And once or all at once, the woman was made well. 
So Jesus heals her indirectly almost here because she touches him. He turns around and says, your faith has made you well. All at once this woman was made well. So Nick, you keep emphasizing, and you do, Curtis, you know, this idea of the faith and the trust, the belief, those that have faith in Jesus will be, as you said, well or saved. Right. Yeah. The trust in the power of Jesus. I mean, all of these, every single one of these instances is an instance of people trusting in the power of God to heal them of their sins, of their illnesses, of their diseases, which tails back all the way to that, that verse back in chapter 8, verse 17, where he says, he bore our illnesses and took away our diseases. I also have a note here um, that leads me back to 9-2, which I've pointed out this out before, but here he calls this woman daughter, mm-hmm. right? In chapter 9, verse 2, with a paralytic, he calls this man, who's a paralytic, son. Take heart, my son. He says the same exact yeah. thing, your sins... Now, here, his sins are being forgiven, right? And here, her illness is being made well. She, her illness is, or her faith is saving her, right? Those and, that are children of God by faith will be made well. Yeah. Uh, the idea. Yeah. yeah very good. Right. Yeah. And, and it's an active faith. It's not right. just a passive yeah. faith in all these instances. And I think it, yeah. it does tie back to the point that Jesus was making on the Sermon on the Mount, that calling right. us to a higher level of righteousness, that where we need to be doers we need to have that living faith that active faith that doing faith yeah and every time these people got up and went to him they went yeah, to jesus right. it wasn't just something passive wasn't it was an active oh searching. jesus come to me they yeah. went to jesus jesus they never said. visits me and makes me well no <laughs> they go visit no. jesus and yeah. he makes them well because they yeah. know what he's capable of so they kind of break this down so we know at least in my mind i like to work through what's going on so you have the synagogue official says please heal my daughter right. so they're on the way to do that on the way to doing that just has one more healing that happens on the way there, and it's amazing. And now they come to the official's house, the synagogue official. And they saw the flute players in the crowd in noisy disorder, which would have been mourning is what it was. You know, I, I, the Jews especially were very big into the actions of mourning. I mean, there would be people waiting. They're playing flutes. I mean, it was very much a, a show, an expression of, of mourning and grief. Something we don't really do so much of in our American society, at least out here on the West Coast, you know, funerals are not always a real big affair to us. I mean, I know talking to my preacher friends in other places, they all have these long, drawn-out services. Everybody out here just says, Cliff, keep a short, you know, graveside is kind of what they want. But here they, in this culture, funerals and death and mourning were huge. So they come here, and there's all this chaos and disorder going on. And in verse 24, he said, leave, for the girl has not died but is asleep, and they begin laughing at him. So think about that, Nick. You show up to a situation where someone has just died, and everybody's mourning and sad and crying and wailing, and you walk in and go, everybody leave, Shh, be quiet, the girl's asleep. Yeah, I mean, it's designed to be... I'm going to laugh too. Yeah, it's designed to be ludicrous almost, I think. Right. Jesus is trying to catch their attention. So they laugh at him like, what is, why, why'd you bring this crazy guy, kind of, this idea? But when the crowd had been sent out, because probably a synagogue official mm-hmm. sent them out too, he entered and took the girl by the hand, and the girl got up. So she was asleep. Now, not that she literally was, but to Jesus, whether you're dead or not, it's still like you're asleep. So he takes her by the hand, and he raises her up, and news spread throughout all that land. Jesus has the power of the resurrection we're seeing here. Yeah. And... We kind of forget about that. We always think about Lazarus and his resurrection. 
Gary's raising somebody. Mm -hmm. You got this girl who died. Where enough that the synagogue official, her, her father, comes and gets Jesus. And when he gets there, he's able to lift her up. And verse 26, the news spread throughout all the land. I keep seeing this. This is just something I, I noticed a little bit ago, but I hadn't thought about it in a while. I keep seeing almost after every one of these instances, uh, especially when someone is, you know, lying indisposed, this word rose. Now, this could keep in theme with what we're going to see at the end of the book, but um, I have to look into this a little deeper. saw this. Um, there's uh, in chapter 9, uh, verse 9, it says, uh, He rose and followed him, not having to do with a, a miracle or anything, um, but I keep seeing this, uh, this word, verse 19 of chapter 9, and Jesus rose and followed him. Um, You'll but, see it. 37 times. 37 times. Is it, a, is it a key word? Is that it what is we're saying? That's what it is. Yep, Curtis pulls that out right there. Boom. But I noticed it. I didn't even have to look at Bear Valley's his, list. His exegetical <laughs> sense was tingling and he caught it. Yeah. Well, he has the professional training. <laughs> I'm just riding on your coattails. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, sermon series on sermon Get Up. On Get Up. There we go. Get Up and Go. Um, but yeah, what's cool here, um, you know, is he puts the crowd outside. And he went and took her hand, and the girl arose, right? And the report went through the through all the district. So, again, it's almost like with every one of these miracles, the news is spreading further and further and further and further that Jesus is doing these incredible things. And it does. It does seem crazy, especially to someone who, you know, if I'm someone who doesn't believe in God, and I read this book, I'm going, that's not possible, yeah. right? That's not possible to happen. That can't happen. Who can do that? That's what I, that's the question I'm asking. Just like the individuals on the boat during the storm, you're gonna who think who has this, this power? Man? Who has this kind of power? I think we know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then the news spread about him through all the land. Jesus doesn't force it to be spread, but good works done in the name of Jesus. Right. The message of that is spread. People will know when we do those good works. And I love that throughout all this. There's not an emphasis on go tell everybody, Jesse. Now, later he will tell people to go and tell. In other passages he does. But Matthew seems to focus maybe a little bit on Jesus doesn't force it. He's not there trying to just get attention. But the attention happens organically because when people see his authority and power. And we, I don't know if, if the, I'm not exegetically trained. Um, but you see the, the same concept with touch. Mm -hmm. If you lay your hand on it, if you yeah. touch, going all the way back to the leper. Uh, and, and so I don't I don't know if there is something there, but it, it might be the fact that I mean this is a powerful authoritative man with compassion too because yeah, Jesus right. touches all them. We're going to see it here in the next session with the blind men that he touches them too. Well, and I think maybe there's a contrast between your religious leaders of the day that were put up on these like ivory towers and never connected with the people, where here you have the Son of God in the flesh mm. touching people, eating with people in the common man's house. There isn't that separation there. He's with them and a great example for us. Great example for all leaders, too. In positions of authority, you need to be among the people if you want to lead them. And it worked. So then it goes on, verse 27, Matthew 9. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now, a couple things. First off, it's the two blind men are here yelling and screaming behind him, which is kind of interesting. But... Look what they said. Nick, what did they say to him? Uh, no, I just, thought it was funny. I just thought it was funny that two blind men are following Jesus. Um, uh, how'd they see him? How'd they see him, you know, following Jesus. But um, what they're saying is is really interesting. It kind of goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the book, right? Yeah. Have mercy on us, 
son of David. That's a huge phrase. Yeah. And they because son of David means he's a fulfillment of that prophecy. He's the right. one who's going to be the Messiah. Matthew chapter one, the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, right? I mean, that's mentioned there. Right. And son of David, son of Abraham. Yeah. You know? People of and we've already faith, mentioned, right? you know, eating at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the right. previous chapter. Right. Now we have two blind men calling him the son of David. Great sermon illustration that the blind men were able to see that he was the Messiah and not other people. They saw it and they call him the son of David and have mercy on us. So they're flat out saying, Messiah, Christ, chosen one, save us, is kind of right. what they're saying. Yeah. And when he entered into the house, the blind men came up to him. So now he gets to the house, and when the blind men come up to him, and Jesus said to him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. So Jesus asked them to confess basically their faith. You know, yeah. Do you believe that I can do this? Yeah. Let's make sure here. They said, Yes, Lord, Master, Curios, that Greek word. And then he touched, there's what you notice, yeah. touching them again. He touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all the land. So another back-to-back -back miracle, miracle, miracle. But this time you have two blind men, and he touches them, he heals them, but he says it's going to be done to you according to what? Your and faith. Your faith. Yeah. And Nick, you keep emphasizing. I think it's something that Matthew is emphasizing right. by inspiration yeah. of God here. This trust, His yeah, tru their trust in Jesus. All these people who are being healed are because they trust in Jesus, right? Yeah. They trust in God. Jesus isn't healing people who don't trust in Him. He's not just randomly going up to people, or people aren't randomly coming up to Him that don't have faith in what He's doing. But almost every instance is with people who trust in God. Yeah. Those are the ones that is healing, uh, and I think that's an important theme to, that. Matthew's emphasizing too in light of what we learned on the Sermon on the Mount with those Pharisees and scribes who are kind of faking it till they yeah. make it, right? It's not about, you know, what you do or your showy, but his theme is, look, all these people, these this righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees is a trust, is a trust in God that causes you to act upon what you believe to be true. And those that have the faith are made well. Yeah. So then exactly. that's the question. The question that Jesus asked of the blind men is one that we need to be asking today. Yeah. Uh, take it. To, Jesus were to ask us, do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe that I am able to make you well? Do you believe that I'm able to save you? Well, and a lot of times we speak that. Yeah, we say, sure. Jesus can make your life better. Jesus can save you. Jesus can forgive you. You better believe that too. Right. And Matthew seems to be calling us to ask that question, like you said, over and over. So he touches their eyes connection with them, healing them. And he says, it shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and so they can see. But now again, Jesus doesn't tell them to go out and tell everybody. He says, see that no one knows about this. So if they completely ignore what Jesus asks here, is that a sin? Good thing we're saved by grace. And not by <laughs> you know what? New converts do some interesting things sometimes, right? Uh, but... He didn't say that they were converted fully yet. He just said they believed, and now he healed them. But, no, it's hard to keep good news like that in, right? Don't tell anybody. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all the land. You can't help but spread the good news of Jesus. It happens. And um, these are people that don't have any 
why would they spread it? There's no benefit to themselves. I think it shows the validity of the message. If they were getting rich off this message, that would be one thing. But they're just spreading it because a good work has been done and they can't help but tell others about it. So now, I mean, how many miracles we have here? One, two, Tons. three this in a row right here. Yeah, this is, we got, so we had five in chapter, five in chapter eight. eight. Yeah. This yeah. is the fourth in chapter nine. So we're going to see another one before. So we're do we think done. Jesus has authority yet? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, we should, at least. <laughs> so now we have, as they were going out, verse 32, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. So now we got a man that has two ailments. Yeah. He's mute. And demon possessed. Now I don't know if the demon possession caused the muteness. I tend to think that maybe it didn't. Well, well that's what it looks like. Impression in verse thirty-three with what happened. Yeah. Yeah, but the reason why I'll tell you why no, I don't think that. Cast out okay. The mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, "Never was never was anything like this seen in Israel." Okay, let, let's look at this. So they brought to him a mute, demon possessed man was brought to him. Okay, so now you got a man who has a demon and he can't speak. Sure. After the demon was cast out, because Jesus has the power to cast out demons, we've already seen that, right? With the one of the, was it the Gerasenes, right? Yeah. So D Jesus can cast out demons. That's nothing new to us in the study of this book. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. So now the man's able to speak, and the crowds were amazed. Matthew emphasizes the amazement, the crowd responds a lot. And they were saying, nothing like this has ever been done or has ever been seen in Israel. Now, why is that so significant that nothing like this has ever been seen? How, what makes this miracle different than any other miracle he's done so far? He's casted out demons. He's healed people. I don't think, if he can make yeah. the blind see, making the mute speak shouldn't be that. Maybe in Jewish culture, muteness is odd. Is it I, I, because I, the crowds were there? Looking back to the, the, the um, miracle in chapter 8, uh, the Gesserian uh, demonics. I mean, are they speaking about the present tense Israel like we haven't seen this in 430 years in nobody's lifetime have we ever seen anybody I just think I mean so if, if we're around something that that's truly awe-inspiring and amazing yeah what is our reaction I, I can't believe this yeah I, I can't believe it so yeah. I, I, I just kind of this is why I kind of thought that maybe it was a dual miracle and because and, and and well this is the first time we saw whoa two birds now with one stone yeah. kind of thing that that's only I don't think it matters but no. it's a significant miracle, at least to this audience. Anybody doing anything like this would would do two things. It would amaze people and it would freak them out. Um, you know, and I think and you never a, hear a guy speak before. <laughs> you didn't even know what his voice could sound like. Right. And now all and of a sudden. It seems like there was a lot of, there's. A, I mean, just like today, I mean, we, we, there's a lot of sickness in the world. But, but there's a ton of, I mean, what Matthew's describing, there's a ton of, of sickness that Jesus is just, I mean, he's miraculously healing these people. And. Not, not even doctors can heal like Jesus heals. No, right? yeah, he's a great physician. And, and to your Cliff, it's just a, whether it's it's one miracle or two miracles, it doesn't yeah. matter. The crowd's reaction yeah, is right. what we need they to see. They knew it was amazing. Yeah. Like, whoa. And they were, you know, marveling. Yeah, marveling at it. And some of the people that were there acknowledged the miracle, verse 34. And they are the bad guys here. Verse 34, it says, but the Pharisees, so now we have. Um, some of our religious leaders of the Jews, these are ones that held to the teachings of the old law as well as the teachings of rabbis. They were also very self-righteous. We've talked about them before. But the Pharisees were saying, he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. Later on, we're going to talk about this accusation in another chapter in more detail. But these are the guys that don't believe that Jesus is, or at least they don't follow Jesus, and they acknowledge that he's casting out demons. 
to me, that shows that it's real. Yeah. If you can convince the guy that's out to get you that you're doing something special, you're doing something special. Yeah. So their accusation is, well, the only reason he can do this is because he's, you know, um, the ruler of the demons. He's in cahoots with the demons. That accusation will be um, levied against him later, and we'll deal with that in another chapter. But it shows the power of this miracle. So miracle after miracle after miracle. Verse 35, it's kind of summed up. It says, Jesus was going through all the cities and all the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We've mentioned that before, right? The coming of the kingdom and his rule, his authority, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. The two kind of go hand in hand, you know, healing and the preaching of the kingdom. Because if you look back, I mean, we talked about this uh, a few, a little bit ago, where he actually talks about the kingdom of heaven with the the centurion, right? Um, he's teaching and he's healing and he's teaching and he's healing and he's teaching and he's healing, but he's doing more. It seems like these, in these passages, what's emphasized is the healing more so than, than the teaching. Um, and then he gets it. He's getting ready to transition yeah, into the teaching ready to, section. Yeah. So, yeah. And 10, 11, 12. And I mean, maybe Matthew's purposely aligning it kind sure. of thematically or topically yeah. here as we go through yeah. it. Yeah. But it. It's also interesting. This is the third out of uh, nine miracle sections in Matthew. Where he just encompasses it all together. Right. And he healed everybody. And he healed everybody. Every kind of affliction. So there's so much more not recorded for us. No wonder the message about him is spreading. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if he's just heal, 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 cast out, you know, he's demons. Better than Oprah. Make, make sense to why he was, you know, tired. Did you just say better than Oprah? You get healed. You get healed. You get healed. <laughs> okay, if you want to tweet out that. Hashtag better than Oprah, better and you can tag Oprah. it at C Pittman. <laughs> um, but so Jesus is preaching and proclaiming the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing everyone. But let's look at verse 36, though. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus' heart is for the people. He sees people out there that are hurting, that are distressed. That are like sheep without a shepherd. They need salvation. They need help. You know, um, this last week we've seen, you know, in the news with with protests turned to riots and people that are hurting. We're seeing, you know, a lot of talk about race relations and, and segments of our community that are feeling distressed, that are feeling dispirited. People need Jesus. They need the compassion that he offers. And the, uh, the solution to all those world problems is love like Jesus loved from every side. That'll cut down any kind of prejudice. That'll get rid of any kind of violence. But here Jesus sees these people that were hurting, and he feels compassion for them. When we see people that are hurting, do we feel the same way? Or are we like, well, serves them right? Or, well, they brought it on themselves. Or, well, they should know better. No, Jesus sees people that are lost. And he sees them like sheep without a shepherd. We don't blame the sheep, right? We see them. They need someone, the shepherd, to guide them into the truth. And that's what separates Jesus from the rest of the religious leaders here. Is that the religious leaders aren't viewing the people. They're, they're exploiting the people yeah. for what they want. Jesus says, hey, man, these people are a sheep without a shepherd. And what's a sheep without a shepherd? Well, they're lost, yeah. right? If a sheep don't have someone guiding them, then they're scattered. They're all over the place, you know. A shepherd is there to protect and to defend and to feed and to guide and to help. And so that's, you know, again, to 
draw, I mean, a, a principle of leadership here that we, we just talked about, you know, is that to be amongst the people is to lead yeah, them. to be with um, them. You know. I also love that the, the sheep idea here, too, is you think about these are individuals that have diseases. These are people that needed healing. Yeah. And a lot of the religious leaders would tell them that, your sins caused that. Remember, that was a common teaching of the day. Sure. Jesus just sees them as lost sheep that need to be brought back into the sheepfold. If we can view our communities and right. every person in our community that way, we will be well, like Jesus. And it's like when Jesus heals the leper in the beginning of chapter 8, right? He says, go and show yourself to a priest. Like, I've already done this, but go and show yourself to a priest in keeping with the commandment of Moses, right? But he's already showing them, you know... Um, like you know, your sheep without a shepherd. I have compassion for you. The rest of the religious leaders don't. I've yeah. already done this for you. The religion, something that the religious leaders of the day could not do. Um, I think that's powerful in and of itself as well. Well, verse thirty-seven. He says to his disciples. So now he talks to his followers. Now he says, "The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of Harvest to send out workers." Harvest. Jesus sees distressed people as an opportunity to save. Mm. And we usually see someone else is going to deal with them. Let us in the church deal with the church folk. And let everybody out there in the world, some other organization, some other activist, some other leader, some other politician, they'll deal with that issue. No, Jesus sees them as, as a harvest. It's right. Here's a chance for us to save people. Anytime we see your people that are hurting, we should be the front line saying, here's how we can make you wait. What's the term? Well, right? The whole section is over and over again. Well, Jesus says, we can show people how to be made well. So the prayer that we need to pray is, God, give us people to get out there and do that work. Well, and, and that's what the, the ESV translated uh, in verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly yeah. to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Do we pray to be a laborer? Um, or are we content to just sit back and let someone else do it. Surely someone else will do it. That's why I pay taxes. I think that, well, somebody, somebody else never will. <laughs> well, we need to have that Isaiah attitude. Here am I, yeah. send me that kind of idea. Yeah. yeah. And, right. and do we have that? Here, pray earnestly. Not just not just one off, but it's it's an earnest prayer. It's an earnest desire to go out and, and, and take care of those who, who are, are needing. Take care of those who are hurting. Show them that Jesus' burden is light. That his yeah. way is easy. And if we believe in the power of Jesus we believe in the power of God, if we trust in the power of God, what's to stop us from praying this exact prayer? What's to stop us from saying, you know, God, send out people to go and do this work? Yeah. Or are we afraid? Are we afraid of well, that? I think we're and afraid think, of it. Instead of, we're afraid of those that are distressed, dispirited, disenfranchised, whatever you want right. to call it. I think the religious Discriminated, leaders, all of that. Yeah. And again, this is showing us that Jesus standing out from the cloud, this is what separates him from the religious leaders of the day. He's telling them, Pray that other people can get out there and do this. And, you know, and the religious leaders, well, we're going to keep that in our tight-knit circle. We're not going to let yeah. anybody else do this, you know. And that's what, and he didn't just think it, didn't just go out there to help them. He went out there and touched them. Yeah. He was sitting down having dinner with them, with the tax collectors, with the sinners. He was in their midst. He, he was yeah. living life with them and bringing them in and showing them that there is a better way. And that's what... I mean, he, he would have been down in the homeless encampment. Yeah. He would have been out there in the LGBT district part of town talking to yeah. people. He would have been with the protesters right. at the Black Lives Matter rally. He would have been the person with the individuals trying to save them. And here he says that we should be asking God to send us and send workers in those places. So I don't think. 
because I think we don't have that kind of faith we need to. I think we place ourselves, I think we fall into the groove of the Pharisees. We fall into the groove of we are above, we are we feel ourselves disconnected from those people. We somehow along the lines, we got saved out of the mire and muck of our sin, and now we think we're better than everybody. And we can't be that way because we are just as need of a savior as everybody else out there. We just have been healed yet so far. They haven't. And that's what my my circling back, I'm a little calmer. Uh, on the taxes comment. Um, so often we rely on the government to step in uh, with with, uh, with programs, uh, civil programs, um, to pull people up in time of need. And before the 1920s, that was the church's job. Yeah. Uh, 150 years ago, the church was the one supporting the community. The church was the one when the house burnt down. Um, the church was there to pull people in. Mm. When someone lost their job, the church was there. Uh, the church isn't there anymore because there's a there's a government program. Yeah. Uh, with this, with the the uh, the pandemic going on, where have we as a church stepped up to help those in need in the community? Have we prepared lunches um, for the the kids at school who don't have lunch anymore? And I, I mean, I, I haven't stepped up to, to help do it. Um, well, because I think sometimes we see these needs. we find instead we pass the buck in different places. I remember growing up a line that I remember hearing people say before when someone would ask you for let's say funds, they would say, "Oh, I gave at church." Even that was a way to dismiss. I give on Sunday to keep me from giving on Monday through Saturday. or whatever. And that's another way we got to be careful, too. We can't just push it. Well, I give on Sunday, so now the church is going to give. I give to these charities. They're going to take care of it. No, you, too, need to be with the, they're with the people. And I think if we, circling back here, if we pray earnestly to the Lord of Harvest to send out laborers, we will find the work to do. And I think we're scared to pray that prayer because we don't really want to work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the times I'm not praying for an opportunity to evangelize is the times I'm scared to evangelize. Yeah. yeah. So Jesus says to ask God for us to, for, to send out workers. And then in chapter 10, we have that happening. Chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority. We're going to have to hang our hat here just for a second because we've been mentioning the authority of Jesus yeah. throughout all of this. Now Jesus has authority and he's able to transfer that authority to someone else. You can't give it if you don't have it. Yeah, and that's authority and power and all that. Yeah. So he has that. He's able to pass it on. He gives them the power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. You want to talk about a testimony to the power of Jesus. If all of a sudden his ragtag group of fishermen and tax collectors and everybody else can now do it too, we're talking about like the super friends here. They can do all sorts of things, right? <laughs> So he, he gave them the same power. Notice the same terminology that's mentioned in 935 about every kind of disease and every kind of sickness is mentioned in verse 1 of chapter 10. Every disease, every affliction. Yeah. So they have the power of Jesus. They're not Jesus, but he transfers them this amount of authority right. to go out there and do these things. And just in case we forgot who these people were, Jesus tells us. He says, oh yeah, go. Well, it's interesting. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about this, this gift. Or this gave, right. uh, and we're going to see it again here um, next week as we move on to chapter ten, um, verse eight. But it's this, it's this reward. When when he gave this authority, it wasn't a wage that was earned; it was a free gift. Yeah. It was a, it's something that that wasn't merited, which is cool. So Jesus empowered them to do great things, not because they had done anything to earn it, but because he's a great giver. And even today, I think we can make application that God equips us to do things for Him, and it's a gift, not a, a burden. Yeah. Yeah. Or an obligation. Yeah, it's a privilege. So he, he lists the names of these 12 apostles. The first is Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, 
his brother and James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, which by the way, having a zealot and a tax collector in the same group was just <laughs> Jesus having fun, I think a little bit there, <laughs> and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. And it's funny because if you're reading Matthew the first time, you're like, wait, hold on, what happened? Maybe you never heard that, but apparently they already knew the story. Now Matthew's recounting it for them. I'm sure people knew about Judas, the word it got now. But he lists all these different people, and I think the emphasis is those are the people that he sent out there into the harvest, and he empowered them to spread the message of the kingdom, and he gave them authority to fulfill that command. So what's the difference? In verse 1, he talks about his 12 disciples, and then in verse 2, it's the 12 apostles. What, what's the difference in the, that title? Well, disciples have to, or I think it's descriptors of the same people here. Uh, like, you know, disciples are learners, right? Yeah. And apostles are those that are sent. Yeah. I, I think... So the fact that they were sent made them apostles? Yes. yes. Sent by Jesus, specifically. It's That's its most literal definition. Now, it becomes a title here of the apostles, the sent ones. But here, yeah, he gave them and then he sent them out to do something. So now they are sent, by the way, chapter 10, verse or 9, verse 38, the send out workers. Now he's made them. Yeah, yeah, here's the workers. Yeah. And, you know, we can be sent by Jesus too. I know we don't call ourselves apostles because we usually equate that with those that were equipped, you know, supernaturally to do these things. But we're sent by God just like apostles well, and that's too. That's what I mean. The, the, at the end of Matthew, when we get there in like three or four years, um, <laughs> he does need to go make disciples, right? But but that's being sent out to do that. Yeah, they're being sent out to make those disciples. Well, we'll stop right there and going through the text. But anything you guys want to mention before we close that out? There's it, it's not in Matthew, um, but but John's account of calling the the, the apostles, mm-hmm. uh, especially um, Simon and his brother Andrew. Um, I just find it really interesting um, because one in every list, Peter is always listed first in all the apostles. But it's really cool, and it's something that I heard a sermon a while back, that if you can't be a Peter, be an Andrew. Because Andrew was the one that went home and got Peter to come follow Jesus. So if it wasn't for Andrew, we wouldn't have a Peter. Uh, And it's just really, no, it's not in Matthew, uh, but that always just And just don't be a Judas, we got that. Yeah, and and don't be a Judas. (laughs) Uh, Judas. It's interesting. Well, I always think of that when I see the apostles. Sabro family fun fact, these last few weeks, you know, we've or months, we've been communing at home. And every time we take communion at home, Xander likes to quote that whoever dips his bread with me is the one that's going to betray me. So we dared him that when we come back, actually you guys already viewed this now, or that we had our morning services. If Xander yelled that out this morning, I apologize. That's just become a routine at the house. But um, I love the authority of Jesus here, and I love that he transitions that authority to normal people. And those normal people are supposed to go out there and help those that are distressed and dispirited because those are the people that are ripe for harvest. I think that's the application for us, is that there's people that are out there that need to be made well, that need to have faith in Jesus, and we are the tools that God has given to get that message out there. Yeah, absolutely. I thank everybody for tuning in tonight and listening. Remember, our Zoom meeting is going to continue on Wednesday at 7 o'clock. You can replay this anytime. Have a good evening.